Welcome back in listeners to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a wonderful guest today joining us from the Critics Pick show, The Appointment. We have the director and co-lead writer, Eva Steinmetz. The Appointment is currently playing at the WP Theater now through February 4th, and it is Like I said, a New York Times critic's pick. It's been getting rave reviews. This is a huge show, especially this production in general. So we are so honored to have Eva with us. Eva, welcome to Whisper in the Wings. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for you to be here. I'm so excited to hear more about this show. It's a powerful show. Um... And I'm being very vague and I'm dancing around the the topic. Why don't you tell us a little bit about The Appointment? Yeah, The Appointment is a musical satire that explores the absurdity and hypocrisy of the American abortion debate. So in short, (laughs) as I sometimes say, it's a musical comedy about abortion. Hmm. Uh, That doesn't have any timely purpose right now. Not at all. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, before we dive into that part of the conversation, I want to ask, how did you come up with the idea of this show? It actually wasn't me. It was our lead artist, Alice York, who is a very dear friend and collaborator. This show came out of a school exercise, basically, in its in its infancy in 2012. And Alice wanted to pursue this early image idea of basically clowns as fetuses and what it's like to have fetuses skewering the pro-life movement. And so that that was the original image, the original idea, the original exercise. And from that came a series of collaborators, a series of workshops. I was brought in as director and the the more concrete goal of writing a musical was articulated. What has it been like developing the show? So hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, making theater is hard anytime. It's, there's so much fear and so much vulnerability starting things new and having ideas and trying them out and having them not work. And when those ideas are about an incredibly fraught topic that holds a lot of pain and a lot of oppression and a lot of different identities, it's even harder to get a group of people together to try to collaboratively write something and wonder, oh, what are we saying about women? Oh, what are we saying about parents? Ah, is it even possible to engage in pro-life propaganda without being icky and sickening to the audience? We don't want to turn off our audiences. We want to invite them into a conversation. And so that, that was a really challenging process. Now, this is the first time the show is being done since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, which is something that's been, you know, put a lot of places when it's spoken about your show. How has that changed the development of this production in particular? There's a team of four of us who are the lead writers. The the piece was very much created collaboratively with, with the ensemble, with all of the performers. 
but the four of us did a lot of figuring out of what what scenes stay, what scenes go, what do we want songs to be about. And so we had a series of meetings last year talking about the script, talking about the text and the lyrics and trying to figure out what exactly we wanted to say differently this time around. One of the things about the show that that we are very attached to is that it doesn't it doesn't give a lot of context around the woman that you see get an abortion. You don't know who she is, you don't know why she's getting an abortion. You don't know if she's had to travel. You know how old she is and you know her name, but there's very little else that you know about her. And so we actually found that the changes we made were very small because we didn't have to say, oh, well, since she's from Cincinnati, here are the things that stay the same and here are the things that are different. Mm -hmm. Because all of that, for the most part, exists in the imaginations of the audience members. So that leads me to my next question, which is what is the message or the thought you're hoping the audiences will take away from this performance? Yeah, I I find this question especially challenging in a very fun way because I tend to work in a way that is non-intellectual and I very rarely make pieces where I can articulate the thought that I want all audience members to have at the end. So I don't even know that there is a singular message, but I can tell you some things that audience members have said to me that I was profoundly delighted by <laughs> and made it all feel so worth it. What, one of the ones that sticks with me the most is there have been a number of cis men who have come up to us after performances and said, I had no idea. I didn't know that's what an abortion was. I didn't know it only took five minutes sometimes. I didn't know those were the questions that got asked. I didn't know what happened in that room. It was such a, it was such this like opaque mythic thing that the pro-life stories were trying to make as violent as possible and the pro-choice stories were trying to make as tame as possible that people actually didn't know what it was. And so that laying it out in a very simple and realistic way feels really important just on kind of like an educational level. <laughs> For people who have questions. And then there's more interpretive responses that audiences have had about the comedy, about the timing, about the musicality, people saying that we're insane and amazing, and all of all of the glorious clown-based compliments that can come out of a crazy vaudeville show are, are the other side of it that I really like seeing what people's brains attach to and what disturbs somebody the most versus what is most delightful to them. And it's never consistent. That's fabulous. Now, as I mentioned, this is, you know, this isn't the first production of the show. How many other productions have there been of this? There have been, I guess, two that happened pretty quickly back to back, both in 2019 there was a production in Philadelphia, which is where the piece originated and where I'm based. And then we moved to New York Theater Workshop shortly thereafter. So I guess one production in two locations with a tiny bit of development in between. 
Now, this current production, was it motiva- motivated by the recent uh, Supreme Court's decision, or was that already in the pipeline to have it done this year? It, it A little bit of both. Since 2019, the producers and lead artists have been working so hard to try to make it happen. And as we were talking about earlier, it was hard to get work in 2020. So... <laughs> opportunities for any show, (laughs) let alone a huge abortion musical, were not easy to come by. And then when when the Dobbs decision happened and Roe v. Wade was overturned, there there were a couple very generous producers and managers who just said, we have to, we have to make this happen. And they worked really hard to find WP Theater and to get this opportunity and to put the show up. That is fantastic. Now, as we close this first part of the interview, I wanna I wanna sneak in this question that I've, that's just come to mind. Um, with everything kind of going on, what sort of challenges have you in the production maybe faced in doing this production? Time, time is always such a huge challenge. In this production, in particular we were on a pretty tight timeline. We got this opportunity and jumped at it. And so we had basically a week to rehearse and remount a show that we had made four years ago. Wow. And then we took a month off for the holidays. And then we had five days of tech. (laughs) And that was it. That was all we had. And we gave it our all. All we really did. It was an Herculean effort of a huge ensemble coming together to get this show up on its feet. But I would say that the biggest obstacle in our way this time around was time. That's incredible, especially for a musical. Yeah. It is incredible. Hats off to all of you involved for that. That's that's something to be said. <laughs> Thanks. So finally. Who do you hope have access to the show? Yeah, I, I, I feel I'm of two ways about this because I think they're the they're the audience members that I talked about earlier who said I didn't know that's what an abortion was, and I think that there are a lot of people with varying perspectives like those that I would really love to come see the show, whether it's about reproductive justice and abortion care and learning what that looks like, or whether it's about engaging in an experimental form of a musical and being exposed and challenged to new structures and new modes of storytelling. I get really excited when I feel like my growth as an artist has happened alongside the growth of the audiences that are coming to see it. And then and then the other perhaps much more egotistical and greedy part of me just wants wants more bodies, wants more people in seats and it feels less about uh a particular demographic and more just about who's willing to do this show. And I I feel like I would go just about anywhere with this piece
Shifting gears now, I want to give our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit more since on our show, we talk not only about theater pieces, but we also talk about our own experience in the theater. And I want to kick things off by asking you, what shows, playwrights, or composers in the past have inspired you or do you love? Yeah, well, I'm going to start with composer because... I think this one has been really strong with me in the last several years. There's a woman, and I believe New York-based, woman named Caroline Shaw, who writes contemporary classical music that I feel incredibly moved and inspired by. Going even farther back in my life, I had the incredible opportunity to study abroad in London when I was an undergraduate and was able to see a bunch of work there. And that was a moment in my life when I was seeing things for the first time, seeing styles for the first time, hearing um, different genres and different perspectives. And one of the one of the pieces that really hit hard for me, I wonder how I would feel about it now. It's one of like, you, when you don't want to meet your hero because you don't want to be disappointed by them. I don't want to see this show ever again because I don't want to know how I would feel about it now. But <laughs> um, the play Cock by Mike Bartlett, I just transformed how I thought about performance and what, what you can do on a stage and how much can exist in the imaginations of the audience. That's amazing. On that note, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? I know you've been very busy with the appointment, but on the off chance. <laughs> I've been very busy with the appointment and I'm a full-time student right now. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a horrible audience member and have only been seeing work, work in progress or work by students, which I love. That's one of my favorite ways to see art is when it's getting figured out. Um, but it means I haven't seen a lot recently. And actually, one of the only things I've seen in the last couple months was Eddie Izzard's solo Great Expectations, mm -hmm. which was a delight. I had a great time oh. and is so different from the appointment and the work that I make. <laughs> and I love Eddie Izzard with all of my heart. And I feel like I, I would follow her anywhere. She can do whatever she wants and I will watch it. I completely so agree. I, I would recommend that. And then to plug a Philly, a Philly local and somebody that I really admire and is a dear friend and collaborator, there's a woman here named Jenna Horton who made a solo show called Image Nation that is kind of reflection on the history of Philadelphia, a tour of the city. It's in large part inspired by Speed Levitch, who's a experimental tour guide in Manhattan and has made a lot of very fun performance and video art. Yeah. If you can, if you can find Jenna, see her work. That's so cool. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? It's gotta be the people. I love process. I love collaboration. I believe in it very deeply. And it's so hard. People are so complicated and everybody has so many feelings. And those feelings often uh, don't line up 
one person has one very strong feeling that contradicts directly with a strong feeling that somebody else has. And I, yeah, I, I like being with that. And I like figuring out ways to turn that into profound moments of hilarity or poetry or just beautiful images. And then when you can share that with an audience and there's even more feelings involved, it's great. I'm in it for the people. I want to sneak in another question here. I'm just very curious about this. How did you come into the performing arts? My parents were, they're retired now, but they were both classical musicians. And so I grew up around performing artists. Their primary gig was playing for the opera, but they were freelancers. And yeah, I I knew I didn't want to be a musician, maybe because I was forced to be one for a long time. <laughs> but I knew that I wanted to be in the performing arts. And I would often go to opera rehearsals and I would go to a dress rehearsal or a tech. And every time the stage manager came out, she had on a headset and was wearing all black and had this big binder. And I just thought she was like the coolest person in the whole world. I had no idea what she was doing. But every time she came on stage, I was like, that's what I want to do. Whatever it is that she's doing. <laughs> I want to be close to the performers. I want to have a binder. I want to be able to talk to the conductor. And somehow I, I have done acting. I've done performing. I've done stage managing. I've been a waitress. I've done all the things, <laughs> but I found my way to directing and I like it a lot. So I want to add on to that with my favorite question, which is what is your favorite theater memory? I think my favorite theater memory, speaking of things, speaking of first times is I think I was eight or nine and my best friend's family took me to see Les Mis the tour of Les Mis. And I have this memory of the opening of Les Mis. They wheeled out a cannon and shot a smoke ring over the audience. And I had, you know, my parents are musicians. I had seen opera. I'd seen grand performances. But there was something about this singular moment of a smoke ring going over my head that made me feel like anything was possible. And it it really stuck with me. And I also am just uh, so tickled by it because it's very campy. <laughs> and so I think there also, there also was part of that that stuck in my brain and was like, this is not, it's not that special, <laughs> but it is that special. And the combination of it not being that special and it's being that special, I, I, it's my favorite. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Are there any other projects or... Um productions that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? I do. Oh my gosh, that would be so great. I'm working with a amazing and wacky and brilliant solo artist named Alexandra Tatarsky right now. They're sometimes in New York, sometimes in Philadelphia. They'd split their time between the two cities and we're working on a piece that was supposed to happen in May of 20 and is now happening in March of 2023 at Abrams Arts Center. It's called Sad Boys in Harpyland, and it's their it's their solo show. That's amazing. And then in September of this year, come see Penelope at Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival. 
It's a collaboration between me and the composer from the appointment, but it is a very, very, very different piece. It'll be a solo musical about Odysseus's wife waiting for him. So we've got Penelope in September, and then we've got Sad... Will you remind me of the title again? Bad Boys in Harpy Land. In March at the Abrams Center. Yeah. That's amazing. I'll have to check both of those out. Yes, La- please come. I'd love it. Lastly, if our listeners want more information about the appointment or about you, or perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that? If they want to learn about the appointment, they can go to theappointmentmusical.com. The appointment uh, was created by a theater company called Lightning Rod Special that also has a website. I am not a member of Lightning Rod Special, so don't reach out to me on that website. And instead, go to evasteinmetz.com and you can fill out a contact form. Well, Eva, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about this very timely and powerful piece of theater I cannot wait to see. It's it's been an honor speaking with you. So thank you so much. I'm so happy to have been here. My guest today has been the director and co-lead writer, Eva Steinmetz of The Appointment, which is playing right now through February 4th at the WP Theater. You can get your tickets and more information at theappointmentmusical.com or at wptheater.org. And you can also... Find more information and contact Eva by visiting her website, evasteinmentz.com. And we're going to have all of this information up in our episode description, as well as on our social media. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.